Hello and welcome to Cocktails, Mocktails, and Crime. We're your hosts, Jill, Gracia, Dave, Don, and Steve. And I'm losing my brain today. And we're really excited, so we're switching it up a little. I know we promoted we were going to do a different episode in previous weeks, but if you listened last week to the end, you heard that Gracia and Dave decided to partner up on a story about Skylar Nice. So before we get into that, though, Gracia, what is the drink of the week? The drink of the week is a mojito. I got the recipe from a website called Love and Lemons. It is out on our Facebook page if you're looking for this recipe. It is very light, very refreshing. You can barely taste the booze, which is something nice in the summer, especially at this time of the morning. Nice and dangerous. Nice and dangerous. It always reminds me of the movie Bridesmaids, where she drinks the pink lemonade, and she's in the car going, shit, that's fresh. Like, (laughs) the fresh limes, the fresh mint. Mm. It... I mean, it's not like this is a delicious beverage I wanted every day, because mojitos are uh, something you have to love, I think. Yes, some of us hate them. Yeah, that would be Jill. (laughs) (laughs) But basically, in ours is just white rum, some lime, some mint. I used the staple syrup that is like an organic syrup so that it doesn't have high sugar in it, and a little bit of club soda on top. How did everybody like it? It's good. I love it. It's okay. I didn't try it. How is the uh, mocktail, Dave? That's just seltzer, right? Instead of... Is that rum? It, no, no, it's everything but rum. So. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, it, it's pretty good. Yeah, I would have been surprised if she said it was just seltzer because, yeah. No, it has a bunch of stuff in there. I th- was thinking of putting a little bit of cranberry juice in yours just to, like, that kick it up good. a little bit. That would have been good. But mm. I thought about it on the way here this morning, mm. and I was not stopping. But I feel like a little cranberry would be yummy in yeah. this, right, everybody? Yeah. Even ours, I think, would be touched by yes. cranberry. yeah. That's the fun of drinking. You can experiment. Yeah. <laughs> Cran- cranberry goes with everything. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get to it. Croatia? All right. So I'm going to start. However, the, I, we switched this case because the other one was a little bit old. So it was hard to get some information. I'll keep working on it. Hopefully we get back to it. But Dave had mentioned this case so many times I had to take a look at it. And him and I decided to team up on this. So I hope you interrupt a lot, Dave. Give me lots of information you found. I always interrupt a lot. <laughs> all right, so here we go. Why do we cry? It is a question I suppose we all think we know the answer to, and a question I wish Dave and Mary Niece did not know the answer to so well. One can hardly begin to imagine what Dave and Mary went through the summer of 2012, the summer their only daughter, Skylar, disappeared. One can only imagine how it must have been for them, perhaps looking into Skylar's room, seeing an empty bed, closing their eyes and saying to themselves, when I open them, she will be here. And this thing, this isn't real, because it can't be real. They are praying to God, offering him whatever he could possibly want, swearing with all sincerity of a life of unwavering dedication to his benevolence, his mercy, and his justice, if she could just come home. But then you open your eyes, and the cold truth sets back in. There is nothing left to do but cry. It must have been what Mary Nice thought was going through her mind, through the mind of Sheila Eady, the morning shortly after Skylar's disappearance. She found Sheila seemingly inconsolable on Skylar's bed. She was sobbing that she just wanted Skylar back. Little did Mary know that Sheila, just a few nights before, had murdered Skylar in cold blood. She would show no remorse whatsoever when she was finally caught. So why is she crying now? Was it to deflect suspicion from herself, or was it just to indulge herself with making Mary have to tend to her and comfort her? A court psychologist would later call Sheila narcissistic and wrong. While narcissism is a diagnosis recognized in the DSM, to my knowledge, wrong is not actually there. Nonetheless, the description couldn't be more accurate. Sheila Reedy, sorry, Sheila Eady is just plain wrong. 
Sheila Eady is one of three friends described by Pierce as the inseparable threesome, two of whom are going to murder the third. Now let's talk about who these three ladies are. First, we're going to talk about the victim, Skylar. Skylar, Annette niece, was born on February 10th, 1996. As I said earlier, she was the only child of Mary and David niece. Mary worked as an administrative assistant in a cardiac lab, and David was a product assembler at Walmart. They lived in the working class town of Star City, West Virginia. This is a section of Morgantown. Now, Morgantown, sorry, Morgantown is a college town with a population of 30,000 people. However, when college is in, it's 100,000 people. Mm -hmm. So you have to like, legally there's only 30,000 people living there, but when college sets in, 70,000 people come into that city. So it's, it's a good size, you know? Skylar was a student at University High School and worked at Wendy's. She was an honor student. As her dad describes her, she always had her nose in a book. She had dreams of becoming a criminal lawyer. Now let's talk about the two best friends. I put that in quotes because mm. they're about to kill her. Yeah. So. You could have better <laughs> friends. Yeah. I thought that was odd, too, when they said killed by her best friends. Okay. Yeah, so now to go back from Sheila, I mean, from Skylar, remember she's only 16. So if you didn't do the math at the time of the killing, she's 16. Mm -hmm. I did not do the math. Yeah. These are the, all three girls are 16. So mm. this is a crazy case that they're so young and this wow. is what they commit. What, what year are we in? Uh, I, you may have already said. But yeah, 2012. 2012. 2012. Sheila Eady was born September 28, 1995. She is the old child, the only child, sorry, not the oldest. She's the only child of Tara and, and the oldest. Yeah. And the oldest. It's, and it's the a youngest. Fact. All three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the youngest and the middle. Yeah. <laughs> the interesting part to me is they're all three only childs in this. Oh. That yep. kind of, like, you're going to see that in the next one. It's, that's an interesting mm. fact of the three of them. Hmm. She's the only child of Tara Glendon and Greg Eady. Sheila was born in Blacksville, West Virginia, which is about 45 minutes outside of Morgantown. Her parents are separated. Her parents separated early on, and she was raised by her mom. Money was tight being just the two of them. Her father was in a car accident, and he was disabled. So shortly after that, the divorce happened. So he wasn't able to support financially or physically in some ways, you know. But Sheila had often been described as the rebellious and wild one of the group. She and Skylar had been best friends since the age of eight. They met at a summer camp at the Shack neighborhood house. It was a community center that kids from all over the city came for after school programs and as stated before, summer camp. Skylar and Sheila met by the pool one summer day and became lifelong friends. Even though they lived on separate sides of the city, they were inseparable. Sheila's mom worked near Skylar's, so in the summer she would often take her over to Skylar's and vice versa. This reminded me a lot of me and Jill, best part only, not the rest <laughs> of us. But what they, do I need to know? <laughs> they moved 45 minutes apart from each other, but their parents kept them friends. Yes. Like, yeah. You know, that's how me and Jill stayed friends, was my parents and Jill's parents going back and forth. 45 minutes is a good distance, and most parents don't want to do that for their kid. How do how do girls click? You, you just meet somebody and... You feel it, right? Mm -hmm. I think it's not just girls. I think yeah. everybody is that way. Like, you just meet people, and you're like kindred spirits or... Well, I always thought girl clicks in school were different than the guy clicks. Well, girls it's, are different than guys. Yeah. yeah. Yes, definitely. Oh, my God, I miss that. <laughs> we're um, much more... I don't want to say emotional, because that's not the word Is it because you have use. long hair? That's... No. <laughs> no, Steve has long hair, and he's not a girl. Oh. That but you know of. I think women are more about the emotional connection than men are sometimes in early ages. Older things change. But when you're talking about high school and stuff, we're more about, like, this girl and I have a good time together, and I'm going to spare my soul to her. Like, you guys, I know boys don't really, like, 
no, not tell their feelings to their friends in high school. You know, we do. Yeah, girls are just different. I also notice, uh, not to belabor the point, if I am, you can let me know, that um, in girl cliques, it, things can change pretty quickly. Well, in this case, you're going to see, too, when you add a third, the whole dynamic always yeah, changes. Yeah. You know? Okay. And I think in this clique, there's something to point out, is that Sheila is... Finan from a home that financially is far beneath where Skylar and uh, Rachel are. And, you know, there's, you know, we always talk about racism, and of course racism exists, but there's also classism in our society that can really impact people. And, and it's, in some ways, it's, it's like it's more subtle, you know, and so you get this whole. I don't fit in here because I'm from a less financially successful family. So well, you see I see the girls with clothes and everything, like when they're in high school, right? You want the cooler stuff like that. Yeah. Sure. And guys do too. I mean, guys yeah. want the cooler, the other th not necessarily cooler clothes. Sometimes it's the clothes, but shoes. Shoes. Yeah. yeah, I was thinking shoes for guys. Yeah, and you know, various things, leather jackets or yeah. whatever, you know. So. Okay, well, we'll get back to the story, but that all these points are going to come up again later, and we'll, we'll talk about them more. Sheila's mom worked near Skylar's, so in the summer, she would often take over Skylar's, take her over Skylar's and vice versa. When Sheila's mom remarried, they moved downtown, and now Skylar would be attending the same high school. The girls were so excited to finally be together all the time. Now let's talk about the third girl, Rachel Schof. She was born June 10th, 1996. She grew up in Morgantown, but she was from the more affluent section called Cheat Lake, in the books and in the podcast and everything, they describe this as where all like the lawyers, the doctors, like this is where if you had money in this town, this is the neighborhood you lived in. Okay, so just so I'm following, because you're pointing this out, so I'm guessing it's important. But so she's a f wealthy, Skylar's middle class, and the other girls more like projects poor. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Not necessarily projects because she was in the middle of fucking woods, but yes. Right. And I would yeah. say Skylar's family is probably slightly closer to upper middle class because, one, they only have one child to care for, and two, they, you know, they're, his mother, what was her mother again? She's, She's a cardiologist. cardiologist. So that's a pretty lucrative career. Yeah. And the father, you know. Well, um, she's a cardiac lab assistant, I think. Oh, so not necessarily okay. a cardiac. But she still probably makes decent money. Yeah. With only one kid, you know. Yeah. I just wanted to flush it out since yeah. you guys are bringing it up. I figure yeah. it must be important at some point. All right. So Rachel is also the only child, as I pointed out before, all three only childs. To Rusty and Patricia Schof, they are also divorced. However, the difference from Sheila is Rachel's dad is still financially supporting them and he is around. So she, it's almost like she has both family members there. She was an actress and a singer. She was well-liked and very religious. She often tried to get her classmates to attend her youth group with her. She had previously gone to Catholic school, but freshman year she transfers to University High School and immediately befriends both Skylar and Sheila. The three were considered inseparable friends, despite all of their differences. A classmate on the Oxygen Show, Snap, said, quote, in between classes, they always met at certain places. They always sat at the same table, and you almost never saw one without the other. It was almost freakish. According to Skylar's diary, Skylar and Rachel got even closer. She writes that Sheila and Rachel had begun a sexual relationship, leaving Skylar feeling excluded. One night Ooh. they were having a sleepover. Yeah, this gets, this gets good, Steve. It's getting good. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, 
parents don't Actually, do it for no, me no, like that. Okay. <laughs> Steve asked for pictures? No, they're 16. No. There are pictures somewhere, because we'll get there. <laughs> she writes that Sheila and Rachel had begun a sexual relationship, leaving Skylar feeling excluded. One night they were all at a sleepover, and they were drinking and smoking. Uh, they smoked pot mm-hmm. throughout the whole thing. And one thing led to another. During the night, Sheila and Rachel started making out. Sheila and Rachel then engaged in sex while Skylar sat nearby and watched uncomfortably. I'm this stopping there because that's fucking weird, right? Why did she get up and leave? Yeah, I don't know. Well, she was at somebody either. else's house and she felt like she couldn't because then they would get in trouble for drinking and smoking. So she just sat there and like hung out. Wouldn't she like go to the bathroom or something? <laughs> I, when she wrote this in her diary, I was thinking in my head, you didn't like, I don't even know. I probably would go to the bathroom. I, I may even walk home. Like, but again, they're in Cheat Lake. She's downtown. Like, how far is this? I don't know. Yeah. You know, I walked in on a couple of lesbians years ago. <laughs> well, even if this were regular, anybody, not regular, because that's the I wrong way to say that. There anybody at... having sex while you're sitting next to them is weird. But anyway. <clears throat> well, unless you are there on purpose, like you yeah. want to be there. Like, well, sometimes you're just surprised, but. I no, guess. that would be uncomfortable if you're not playing yeah, to be Yeah, it would feel awkward. I mean, some people do get into that stuff, mm-hmm. but, you know, it would probably yeah. be... It would also be, feel awkward to be one of the performers if you yeah. were being observed, I mean, in my opinion. <laughs> I was like, what are you I still mean, doing the there? The performers. You know, you can... <laughs> <laughs> right? I love that, right? Like, this is a show. <laughs> well, I, that's the only thing that I thought about that was weird, because if you're not someone who was willing, a willing participant or a willing observer... You might feel weird about that. Like anybody having sex in front of you might be like, whoa, we just, we just took it to a whole other level mm. and I'm not ready to go there. So, I although, hear, um, what's that guy, Roger Stone, the guy that's always close to Trump? He's into watching people with his wife. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, like, yeah, it's so strange. It's like an unautogamous marriage. You know, she sleeps with whoever she wants and I take pictures. It's a kind of a very bizarre thing if you ask me, but whatever. <laughs> well, I think, you know, you said they were drinking and smoking pot and stuff, so I was in high school and went to parties where people would just hook up in the middle of them because people are drunk and high, you know, so it does happen, and that's probably just what happened in this case, right? Yeah, and probably because the difference between a party and being alone in somebody's bedroom is you you can't go anywhere. Like, a party, you can go somewhere else in the room, but, like, you're in your friend's bedroom, the mother's downstairs, like, you're like, I don't know what to do, like, do I go tell her they're having sex? Do I, like, I'm sure, all she wrote was the word, I'm so uncomfortable. Mm. That's all she wrote in her diary. So, again, that story, like, we only know from her perspective. We don't know anybody else in the room. So, Skylar then starts to tweet, These girls, you can't help but go high school throughout this whole thing because they are all over social media. That's why I have so many photos. I have a million of them downloaded to my phone. The tweets are crazy. The Facebook postings. It's crazy. Anyway, she starts to tweet things like, Sick of being fucking home. Quote, Quote, thanks, friends. Love hanging out with you, too. It seems to cause quite the strain in all their relationships. On one or more occasions, Skylar even takes photos of them making out. That part is wrong. Hmm. Oh, well, we should probably just edit it out then. No, it's it's oh. wrong. Like, oh, it's not okay. wrong. Oh, they do that. I was confused. Oh, okay. But it's was... wrong. Like, you don't have their permission to take photos of them while they're doing that. No, you that. don't. And, you know... I, 
There's not like, you know, these are three kids that are in high school and people have to keep in mind that, you know, when you you're in high school, you do things like that. So, yeah, exactly. That's what I would say, because I know from coaching cheerleading, my interactions with kids, they take pictures of each other all the time. And it's never like asking permission first or anything Mm. like that ever. But I think she's going to hold them against her, them. So, like, it's going to be like a blackmail thing. Even know? still, yeah. yeah. And this is Skylar doing that? Yeah. Skylar takes photos of the two of them making out, Rachel and Sheila. And you got to keep in mind, Rachel has an image of being very religious. So this oh, yeah. is this would probably not have gone over well with a lot of the people in her church, certainly. So um, She's a very active member in her church, like youth group summer camps she is very active in church mm. rachel and sheila keep their relationship secret from everyone investigators sorry i thought you were going to say something jill you had that look <laughs> no <Nope. laughs> paying <Invest>, attention <laughs> <laughs> investigators were particularly interested in a tweet scholar had posted nine months before her murder quote i tell the whole school all the shit i have on everybody which is a lot with five t's hashtag if i could get away with it it is thought to some that rachel was so religious and the girls lived in a conservative town that they killed her to keep her from outing them. But let's not get too far ahead with these antics. Let's get to the disappearance. All right. This brings us to July 6, 2012. There are some conflicting stories at the beginning of this story, but they all get you to the same place. It's only like really one little line. One is that David's, David, Skylar's father, is supposed to meet Skylar for lunch. Skylar does not show up and doesn't call. He tries to call her and then it went right to voicemail. This makes him concerned because it's not like her. The second start of that day is that David comes home for work and he's on his lunch break because they're gonna trade cars so she could go to work. So that, different sources tell you different things, but we both now are the same for the rest of the time. So I just wanted to point both of those out so you could take them for what they will. So he goes home to trade her cars. Either way, they both have him returning home where he sees the small bench outside Skylar's window. This suggests that she had snuck out the night before. Inside the room, he sees the window screen has been removed and placed in her closet. The window is slightly opened. He then calls Rachel, who is not available because she is at camp. He th- church camp again. <laughs> he then calls Sheila, who tells him that she talked to Skylar on the phone, but it was only at midnight and she has not seen her. David then calls his wife because he's a little panicked. Mary calms him down and reminds him that she's a 16-year-old girl and she's on summer vacation, that she was scheduled to go to work for four so they could call her about 10 after and make sure she had arrived there. Then, just after four, Wendy's actually calls and asks why Skyler, Skyler had not shown up. This is a clear indication that Skyler was, not, was clearly not one who would tend to show up late for a shift because her work would not call that quickly if she was someone who did. I think that shows a sense of her responsibility. Yeah, yeah she definitely had responsibility. She has a lot of things. She's very intelligent. She's extremely responsible for a 16-year-old. I mean, she's still a 16-year-old, but there's definitely a lot that that Sheila certainly doesn't have either because Sheila's always getting in trouble in school. She's the one that, you know, really isn't, you know, seen as the good girl, that's for sure. And I think she had a goal too because in another, in the book I read, it talks about how University High School has an affiliation with the college there. And if you graduate with a certain grade, you can apply for a full scholarship to the University of West Virginia, which is a big school. Like we said, 70,000 people going to it. Yeah. So if you went to University High, you could get a full ride. I didn't think people in West Virginia even went that far in school. I did. <laughs> it's not the West Virginia I remember. 
I mean, I'm, you're talking about the city, though. Anywhere in a city, you uh, have a certain level, right? Because Morgantown is, is, for lack of a better word, a city. Yeah. It may not be a giant one, but it's probably like Framingham. Hmm. That's what I picture. I would think so, yeah. Yeah. All right. So the parents then start calling all of her friends, anyone they can think of that might have known her whereabouts. They don't call Sheila again as they'd already spoken to her. But strangely, Sheila now calls them. She now changes her story. And she admits that Scott, she picked up Skylar with Rachel at 11, though. And the girls drove around smoking pot. Sheila says that she dropped Skylar back off at midnight. That's the map that I put out today. So if you guys are looking for a little map, she says she dropped her off down the street. So that map kind of gives you a visual of where she says things went on. This should have made people suspicious right away because she had not been questioned. It had only been a couple of hours, and teenagers don't generally, teenagers don't generally tell on their friends so quickly. Maybe the overall stress made the parents disregard it, but I can't really excuse the police hearing this and not having a light bulb go off. Yeah, cause That's you, David's line. You've got to remember that the she, you know, Dave Neese calls her, you know, in the early morning, says, hey, have you seen my daughter? She says, well, no, I just talked to her on the phone. Now, she doesn't realize Skylar's missing, right? Just because somebody's father can't find their daughter for a couple hours you don't immediately say oh well this person must be missing so when she calls back to change her story like that that should have immediately signaled the police that you know there's too short of a time window here there's a reason she would have called that quickly and totally changed her story and then admitted smoking marijuana you know it's not something like a teenage kid's going to go call, you know, say, oh, well, we snuck out to go talk about boys or something. That's what she would have likely have told the parents, you know, but all of a sudden she's like, well, we snuck out, we smoked marijuana, and then I dropped her off down the street. This should have signaled the police, in my opinion. And the parents a little bit, too. Like, yeah. I feel like they should have. I can see the parents being in too much of a panic state to really be rational, though. But I even mean, the call back, I'd be like, oh. Hey, what's like, I mean, I guess like you said, they're in a state where you don't know what you would be thinking. You're right. Yeah. I just think sometimes like someone calling you back is a clear indication of their conscience being a little guilty. Exactly. You know? yeah. Or like try to cover up herself a little bit more before he talks to the police because she knows it's coming, you know? Yep. All right. Let's move on to the investigation. Skylar was, of course, initially considered to be a runaway by law enforcement. Mary, her mother, remembered that the apartment had surveillance. She contacts the management company and was able to obtain a video. It is a bit grainy, but you can see Skylar leaving the apartment at 12.31 a.m. You cannot see Skylar's window in this um, video, so that becomes an important part for the investigation that they said they don't actually know what time she left, but you can see her getting into the car. She is willing, to, and she is very willingly getting into the back of the sedan. The police are not able to identify the sedan or the license plate at this time. Which video is this? The video from their surveillance that the mom called, because the, they live in an apartment building, and it has surveillance, so she was like, hey, let's see if you can see anything. If she ran away, you'll be able to see it on surveillance. So this okay. is what the cops are viewing is. Yeah, I saw that video last night, and, and you're right, it's very grainy. Very grainy. Mm -hmm. You can see that it's a female running toward the back of the car. And that important fact is why they don't issue an ambulance alert, because she gets into the car willingly. I see. So oh, that's, that makes sense. Yeah. Actually, yeah. So they're saying she's not abducted. No. Because she gets in there willingly, but... I think that's a little ambiguous too sometimes because like if you knew your kidnapper but you like say like she met somebody online and this guy now kidnapped her like she gets in the car willingly but then the rest of it isn't willing 
You know, like, there's many cases where some people get in willingly. Well, they change the law anyways, but that was one of the criteria. We're going to get into that right now. Yeah. The Amber Alert was not immediately issued because back in 2012, authorities say that an Amber Alert has to meet four criteria. Number one, a child is believed to be abducted. Number two, the child is under 18. Number three, a child may be in danger of death or serious injury. Number four, there is sufficient information to indicate the Amber Alert would be helpful. In addition, any teenager has to have a waiting period of 48 hours before they can be considered missing. That part is always driven me nuts. You gotta wait 48 hours when, Yep. to go look at for a, a teenager. That's ridiculous. Yeah, it blows my mind, too. We talked about that last week with yeah. the Teresa Corley story. And there are so many stories of kids who go missing, and you wait 24 to 48 hours, and that's just shameful. It yeah. is. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's shameful. This where I say, as we all know, wasting valuable time. Her father tries pushing for the alert, as he did not believe she ran away. Besides the above indications of the bench and the screen, which shows she intended to return. They also noticed her charger, her contact lenses, and the fact that she left her, like, what do I call it, a whoopee? It's like a... A whoopee? Yeah, because like, you know, a new word for me. <laughs> like, you have the blanket that you love that she sleeps with every night. So they were saying... I've never heard that. You never heard that? Like a kid? I've never heard the word whoopee before. Well, like a kid has a blanket she sleeps with. He says every time she went somewhere, she brought this. It was a little infant, like... Even at the age of 16? She still brought it with her. Wow, because Alex had... Ben called his go buggy. (laughs) See, every kid has a name for it. Like, Carolyn, I'm sorry when you listen to this, but Carolyn still brings hers, and she's 30. Oh, my gosh. When we go camping, she brings hers. It's called Mia. Yeah. Mm. So he's saying because she didn't bring this, she would have never planned to be overnight. If she goes overnight somewhere, she always brings it. Yeah, the other thing, too, to point out is that when you see her going towards the car, she's not carrying anything that would carry clothes. She's left her cosmetic or beauty cosmetic products all at home. She's a 16-year-old girl. She's not going to go with the intention of staying in the same clothes for months on end and not brushing her teeth or brushing her hair. Right. You know, she's... Yeah. yeah. So that's what I was just about to say. The indi- oh, sorry. <laughs> Additionally, the surveillance video, while grainy, did show that she had nothing with her. No bags, nothing to change her clothing, just her phone, and she was running towards the car. Her parents fo- posted flyers about their missing daughter all over Mongolia. Mm, that's not Mongolia. How do you all say over that? Mongolia. <laughs> How do you no say wonder that? they didn't mind Mongolia County. How do you guys say that? Mon- Mongolia. I can kind of understand why Mongolia is yeah. 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 don't, okay. don't we have a listener in Mongolia? Like, or something? How do you say that, Dave? I think it's Monagalia County. Monagalia? Wow. I would have said that too. So. I think it's Monongahela. Is M O M O N O N G A L I A. Mongolia. Well, your brain does it quickly in <laughs> Mongolia, but I knew right away. I'm like, it's not it. There's this not. is West Virginia. Yeah. Mongolia. <laughs> well, Mongolia, country, region. Whatever. There we go. County. They went on social media to get the word out. They organized searches within the community, and disturbingly, Sheila is obsessed with helping with these efforts. However, she then goes back and takes them down from places. Hmm. Um, all over That's evil. Yes. All well, over West Virginia. She did it, right? But so. still. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All over West Virginia, store owners were reporting to police that they were missing their signs, that they had to keep replacing them. One store said they put six separate signs up because people kept stealing the Skylar Nice missing posters. Wow, what a 
too. And they know it was this young lady taking them? Well, a few of them have said situations, like one of the beauty parlors said, it was there, I know it was that morning, because when I unlocked the door, it's right next to the door. So it was there when she opened the store. Then she did Skylar's highlights, highlights that day, and it was gone later. So she doesn't know she took it because she's busy with clients. Wait, not she Skylar's yeah. highlights. Skylar's highlights. highlights. Yeah. You Sheila. said Skylar. Sheila. Oh, not a ghost. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Sheila. Sheila. I'm sorry, Sheila guys. Ease. Sheila E. Yeah. Sheila E. It is Sheila E. That's yeah. so funny. I never even thought of that. I kept thinking of it every Me time too. I said the name. We should play some background music. <laughs> well, Prince or something. So she, Sheila was there to get her highlights, and then they think she took it. Another thing somebody said, that could have just been her mom, like, taking it down so she didn't get upset because her mom was with her there. Who knows? Uh-huh. But the fact that they were disappearing is kind of odd to me. So this whole time, Rachel is now at camp. Skylar has disappeared so she can't help with any of the efforts because she's at church camp. When she returns, she pretends to know nothing about Skylar being missing. This should seem odd to police because the messages had been left by David, and it's not clear that she was in contact with Sheila. She She wasn't in contact. Oh, she wasn't in contact, right, David. She arranged to meet with police, but then skips the initial meeting. She ends up having a face-to-face with police, and her story seems to match word for word with Sheila's. This strikes the police as odd, and they seemed convinced that this is still a runaway case still. The weird part there is that she's now word for word saying the same thing, and the cops are like, it's okay, we believe you both. Like, Yeah, I mean, I think this did... So, I think at this point, the cops are still convinced that it's a runaway, but they're also convinced that the two girls know who Skylar would have run away with, so she's sitting there, so they're kind of sitting there like, okay... Run away still. They're not suspecting these two girls of doing anything except for knowing what really happened. And that makes sense to me because when, you know, friend groups are naughty, there's usually one person or, you know, who tells their friends, here's what we're doing. And if you were saying they were inseparable, always seen together, then it just stands to reason that they know that that's what the cops are thinking. But the word for word throws off one cop, the new cop that just got back from vacation. So there is a detective who was originally on this case who is close to retirement, had the case, but only temporarily because he wasn't supposed to be active duty. He was more of a desk duty type of guy. So you can kind of see why the investigation kind of chilled there for a bit. But then when she comes back from vacation, she starts re-interviewing all these people and like, wait a minute, these girls are not telling you the truth. Like, you're taking them for their word? Like, she saw through the text, she saw through the tweets she saw through everything so she's the one who kicks this cake that's really impressive because honestly like i said like i can see the word for word stuff and being able to explain it away as they know who she's with you know kind of thing and they just don't want to let out their friend yeah Yeah. exactly so for that cop to be that astute i think that's well she said her initial impression of sheila was that she was narcissistic and she lied Mm. yeah she could see it in her face so i think sheila's body language maybe or something kind of gave it away more because she said at the beginning of one of her interviews that I watched was, I don't know what it was, but in my gut, I know this girl's evil. Hmm. Like, I can't put my finger on it, but... I know that feeling. Yeah. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Dad, we don't want to talk about Steve. <laughs> no, I've met narcissists. Yeah. It doesn't take long, usually. It's very, really narcissistic. And this girl seems to be, throughout her investigation, this, this cop who was a local town cop. But now, you know, as I said before, the FBI is involved, the state police are involved. This local town cop is the one who really starts kicking it into turbo, you mm-hmm. know? So Sheila admits to bringing up Skylar, sorry, to picking up Skylar, but then she says she has dropped her off an hour later at midnight. 
which is then corroborated by Rachel. The problem is, is that Skylar got into the car at 1231, much later than when Sheila indicated she returned to the police. The police at this point seem to think after returning with Sheila, Skylar went out again. This is clear evidence. This is David. You yeah, it's clear evidence of shitty police work because she never came in at 1130. They have the surveillance. Yeah, that's they what sh- I was going to ask. Yeah, it's like they don't see her coming back in. So it's like she actually only left once yeah. and they don't seem to pick up on this. So. And David also points out the fact that the, co- the corner where they drop her off is so far from her apartment. As a friend, why would you go that far? Like, I get that you're trying not to wake the parents, because that's the reason that, she, that Sheila says Skylar didn't want her to drop off right at the door, was that she would wake the parents if he pulled up. But it's such a long distance from the apartment, it really doesn't make sense to be that far away. Like, maybe a couple houses down, or, you know, but that far away seems weird. What, what was the distance, Gracia? We couldn't, I couldn't give you in, in distance, but if you look at the map, it's several. It's it's basically two or three blocks away, wow. where you can clearly see. Now you got to also keep in mind this is an apartment building, so there's numerous people who live in the same building, and so really the concern there seems a little silly because I'm sure they are used to people who might be returning from work late at night that live at that apartment building. So it's not like, you know. It's not like their own residence, uh, their own house, where it's only them, and certainly they would be suspicious if a car pulled in at 12.30 at night. And also, if you want to take a look at the map, I put it out uh, last night on Facebook, so you can see the exact where they said they drop her off. They draw a line to where Skylar's house is. So it's an aerial view, but it gives you a pretty good idea. Is that on your page, Grace? It's on the Cocktail, Mocktails, and Crime page. That's what I just showed you, Dad, from Instagram. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's already on Instagram, too. Yeah, I put it on last night so that I wouldn't forget because there's so many pictures of this that I want to put out before it goes out just so you guys have a good view of who all these people are and everything. So, mm-hmm. All right, so two months later, the FBI and the West Virginia police are actually going to join this case. At this point, they start to investigate the girl's alibi. They start to see holes. Wait a minute, I'm sorry. Yeah, go Sorry. No, you go first, Steve. Uh, why is the FBI involved? Because they cross state lines... Uh, they figured out that they had crossed state lines because of the uh, cell phones. Um, oh, okay. Oh, so her cell phone was continued to ping, you mean? Yeah, so they, they eventually someone with at least half a brain decides, hey, let's try and figure out where these girls actually went. This detective that comes back. Yeah. Like, okay. Let's check with the cell tower. Yeah, let's check the cell tower. And all of a sudden they see, okay, you went the total opposite direction than you said you went, number one, and then number two, you're actually going a lot further. There's no way you could have, because they were also at a gas station, too. So there's no way you could have been back in an hour. So all of a sudden, they're starting like light bulbs are almost going off. Oh, okay. You said this is two months later? I just wanted to clarify Two months that later. Yeah, you're in September now. Yep, oh, so two okay. months later. Wow. And also, the weird part about that, too, is that they said they... They never left Star City. So as soon as the cops got those pings, they knew, okay, you lied there, so let's talk about something else. Right. They both said as soon as they dropped Skylar off, they went right home and went to bed. So they had him in their first lie, so now they can start to dig some holes. This would be the first time that they seriously take footage, take a look at the footage from the night. They figure out Skylar has not left two times. They start to suspect that Sheila drove the car Skylar was seen get into. Cell phone towers now show the girls in Blacksville, West Virginia. This is about 45 minutes away. It's right on the PA border. The girls then told police that they never left Star City. So now the police decide to ask the girls to take a polygraph. 
Sheila fails with flying colors, but Rachel just flies. She literally jumps out of her car on the way to the... <laughs> Sorry. It's super funny that she's on her way to the police station, and to avoid taking a lie detector, she jumps out of the car in an attempt to save herself. She Googles how to um, get out of a polygraph, and it's if you have a concussion. Right away. <laughs> oh, concussion. concussion. So if you have a concussion, you can't be considered admissible for your polygraph. So she's trying to give herself a concussion, so she jumps out of the moving vehicle. There's, there's other, other ways to do that. There Apparently, are, like, the Fifth Amendment... Any, yeah, I, yeah you could have just said I'm not going to take the poly. No, I mean, there's other ways to get a concussion than drive and get oh, out of a car. Oh. Well, speaking as someone who has fallen out of a moving vehicle, I did not get a concussion from that. No, <laughs> I seriously fucked my get, leg up. Yeah, that was horrible. Brain. I did get a serious injury, yeah, but not to my head. Yeah. <laughs> you were doing it wrong. Can you just picture being her mother and, like, on the way to the police station for her to take this polygraph and boom, she jumps out of your moving vehicle? What the? Yeah. What the fuck? Are you fuck? Going? <laughs> Clear That's indication funny. of something, right? Uh, mm. That would make me suspicious. Mm. Mm. Well, it's funny because, like, I was listening to the book and throughout the whole time, the parents are not suspicious of their kids. Like, uh, Rachel's well, mom mm. even, like, finds wounds on her from the incident and blows it off as, eh, she just got hurt in the boat. Like... Well, I mean, I don't think you want to believe, yeah. right, yeah. that your kid could commit yeah. a murder. Actually, Craig and I were talking something about this the other day, too, where it's not, like, what would you do if your kid had committed the yeah. murder, too? You know, like, yeah. so. Oh, God. <laughs> Horrible on both things. The break in the case comes on December 28th, 2012. Rachel has a nervous breakdown. You can Google it online and listen to the 911 call. It's crazy. Her mom it is calling 911. She's screaming in the background. Is Rachel the religious one? Yes. yes. She's the religious one. Religious actress, singer. I've had a nervous breakdown. They're really scary. Yeah. You can hear it in her voice in the background. It's it's kind of eerie. Yeah. I know when I had mine, like, it was scary for me, but Craig said it was scary for him, too. So. Yeah. Well, it was a the... knife in your hand. That's... Mm. No, it's I, like, collapsed onto the floor, actually, mm. so... She's just like, she's running around the room, she's screaming, she's throwing things, she's threatening to kill herself. The video is brutal because even if you are her mom listening to your kid go through this, like you were just saying about Craig, he probably was hurting for her. You know, like the sympathetic hurt was, was real in all of them. Then emergency services arrived, they assessed the situation, and they bring her to a mental institution. She was there until January 3rd. So that puts her staying there, what did I say, December 28th. So she's there about five days. Through her stay, she was, it was confidential. However, it is assumed she discussed the case with her therapist and her counselors because immediately upon release, her parents go straight to their lawyers. Hmm. Then the lawyers go straight to the police station. So within well, wait moments, a minute, right? Like, even if you confess that you committed a murder, isn't that no longer protected by client-patient confidentiality? It isn't. That's why I think they went straight. Oh. Oh. Like, I think upon release, they were... I always thought that was... No. Well, but if she was there for five days, I wonder... I mean, the, you're like a mandated reporter, so you're not really supposed to sit on that information either, right? You're supposed to, like, oh, you killed her? Hold on, let me call the police, you know? Yeah. So I think you'll have some time, because when you tell a counselor that, I think they have to report that to whoever their supervisor is first. And then the decision of what needs to be done is is made so that... You know, so you would have a couple days probably from the point that, and they may have very well contacted the parents and said, hey, listen, this is what your daughter's telling us. Yeah, because so. the lawyer, okay. it was stressed a lot of things that those lawyers were like, we have to go right there. We okay. do not have time to, like, 
we have to go right there and get ahead of this. You know. Right. Thanks for clarifying. So, how long after the lie detector test that she decided to avoid okay. until her breakdown? Dave, do you know that answer? Lie Off detector. the top of my head, I'm going to say it was still a pretty significant amount of time. I think the lie detector test was sometime in October or November. You know, the police at this point. They believe that the they still believe that the girls know more than what they're saying, but they're still stuck on this Skyler is a runaway kind of thing. They don't suspect these two girls killed their daughter. It just kind of blows my mind that they're not suspicious enough to have followed up in some way during those two months, and that they have to wait for the girl to like get broken by her conscience before they do anything that's scary crazy it is. right it, yeah I, I, the, the police work in this case is really disturbing because they really you know you have an assumption that she runs away not you don't have evidence to support it you have to let go of that and you have to investigate you have to look for what does the evidence actually prove not how do I find evidence to prove what I think is right yeah. yeah yeah and I mean I work in software I'm not a police officer but step one is always validate your assumptions list mm. out your assumptions That's and right. then validate yes. them right. yeah yeah if you're at an impasse go back check your assumptions because it's there somewhere right you're exactly. assuming something wrong. so if they're not solving the crime now I read or maybe I didn't read this right that at that same period of time before her nervous breakdown there were kids at school that were suspicious right yes yeah. they don't tell anybody though that's the weird part of it but they tell each other so did that yeah. increase the pressure on this girl do you think i think so because they were talking about it at school in the oxygen series and then again in the book they talk about how everybody like at school starts talking about hey wait a minute they told me they were going to do this wow another thing what? about folly craig can pronounce it folly do yeah which is when you have a situation where one person is more the narcissist or the psychopath and the other person isn't. Oh, Folly Adu, by the way, is it's a psychology, it's in psychology, it's what happens sometimes when two people have a shared psychotic personality. Right, they come together to form like that personality, right? And yeah. I think we talked about this in a different episode. You yeah, did, snipers, yeah. And what can happen sometimes is if one of the people is not really psychotic or psychopathic or narcissistic, when they are separated from the other person for enough of a period of time, they start to move back to their normal kind of mindset that they as a person have and you think about it it was around the time of the holidays and it may have been that limited the contact she was having with Sheila and that kind of starts leading her back to more closer to what Rachel's normal psychology would be That's really and, interesting. and they're on school vacation so yeah right. so they might have had very little communication so all of a sudden she's like having to stew on this whole thing it's probably opening her presents on Christmas morning didn't feel too good knowing that she's killed her one of her close friends because I don't believe I, I believe Sheila has no empathy or no remorse but I don't believe the same about Rachel I believe there is empathy and remorse in Rachel and to throw I know some people won't feel this is a viable thing but her religion during Christmas you are there all the time at church mm -hmm. yeah so she's very religious so I feel like 
Is she Catholic too? Yeah, because she's Catholic. Yeah, that's Catholics. why I was asking if it was the religious one. Yeah, yeah, she's Catholic. So if she went to all these masses uh, around Christmas. She could be feeling pretty freaking guilty before that day. Well, confession. They're also. good about guilt. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. they are good yeah. about guilt. Yeah, yeah. but one confession thing. is a critical element too, right? Right. Mm. Imagine being that priest. <laughs> oh, yeah. Christ, right? You're like, what <laughs> he, he gets out of that little room and sweats. Say, why <laughs> All right. So who the was little, the leader? Who do, who do you think was the leader? Sheila, Sheila. definitely. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. The lawyers and the family then head straight to the police station where Rachel confesses. She begins her confession by asking for a trash can because she feels like she's going to throw up. Oh. The investigators start to ask questions, and she simply shakes her head. She's really not, like, cooperating, even though she's there to confess. Then all of a sudden, she almost, like, just takes a deep breath and says everything. And the reports on this are, like, the cops just sat there for a moment, like, oh, shit, this isn't what's going on. (laughs) We thought this was a runaway. They still thought it was a runaway. The moment she got in there, they thought they were going to tell her where she was. Wow. So... The cops in the room actually say, we were so dumbfounded, it took us a minute and had to tell her to go back because we weren't, like, we stopped taking notes as she started talking. Bunch of fucking idiots. (laughs) Emphasis on the dumb part of that word. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, of course, they're probably recording it. How close is is Vermont to this? uh, (laughs) (laughs) All right. We need to do an episode on least competent cops we've run across. So I don't know why you don't lay across Steve's lap like you laid across mine last week. Or just get yourself a mic. (laughs) Or get yourself a mic. I want that kind of action. Instead of a Steve, get a Michael. Yeah. I should should bring a pillow next time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) I'm not even going to make a joke there. Oh, God. All right, so now we're going to talk about the crime. For those listening, be forewarned. This is pretty disturbing. They're 16 years old, so I think that adds the element to it. These are Rachel's descriptions of what happened. In the early morning of July 6th, Sheila and Rachel invited Skylar to sneak out with them. Skylar was initially hesitant, as she and the two friends had recently had a falling out. However, she was convinced to join them after a series of phone calls and texts from both girls. At 12.31 a.m., Skylar climbs out the window, crosses the street, and gets into the back of the four-door sedan belonging to Sheila. The three girls then head northwest from Star City to Blacksville. The girls planned to travel along West Virginia Route 7, but then turned around after spotting a state police car that was parked in front of a gambling lounge. They're all underage, and they're not supposed to be driving. Right. So as soon as they see that cop, Skylar thinks nothing of it, like, oh, yeah, we got to turn around. I thought, to me, at first, I was like, wait, that's an indication they're going to do something wrong, but... It was the underage thing that made them turn around. They eventually arrive at their destination. It is just across the street from the Pennsylvania Street, sorry, Pennsylvania State Border, a spot where all three of the girls had often gone to smoke pot. This property borders Sheila's father's family's property. Once the girls were out of the vehicle, the two girls told Skylar they had forgotten to bring a lighter. Skylar volunteered to go back to the vehicle to get her lighter. As soon as she turned around, Sheila and Rachel out loud began to count to three. On three, they both grabbed their knives, which had been, hood, hit, which had been hidden in the back of their hoodies, and attacked Skylar from behind. Oh. Yikes. They began to repeatedly stab Skylar. She attempted to run, but was only able to take a few steps before Rachel tackled her to the ground and continued the assault. During the attack, Skylar managed to wrestle Rachel's knife from her and was able to cut Rachel's knee. Jill and Rachel continued to stab Skylar until she stopped moving. The two then sat there and just waited. They were listening to the gurgling sounds emitting from Skylar's neck. 
they knew they had to wait for it to stop. Once it stopped, they stood up and started to clean up. Gracia, any indication of of who made the most stabs? Was there a disproportionate amount? Of Sheila made more. Sheila made more. What is this? A contest? No, it's <laughs> not a contest, but it does it does indicate something. They stabbed her for a full five minutes. Wow. Wow. Fifty three times. Yeah. I was just gonna say her postpartum examination revealed more than fifty stab wounds. Fifty stab wounds. So in that if, little body. If Rachel did most of that, that's quite a that's quite a lot. This was yeah. And then they they callously sit there and listen to her bleed out. And they just sit next to her. Just listening to the gurgling sound that would be coming out of your throat because of the lacerations. They just wait for it to stop. Yeah. Well, that's what friends do, you know. <laughs> Those were the words from her confession. So, yeah. like, wow. crazy, right? We sat there and waited for the gurgling sounds to stop. Like, what a moment of, like, yeah. what the, who, who the fuck sits there and just does that? Apparently these two girls. It, yeah. As I was even typing that part of it, it, like... I was sick to my stomach because, I mean, we're going to keep going for the rest of this um, time that they're at the body. Do you need a waste paper mask? I do, please. <laughs> Next, they attempt to bury the body. First, they drag the body to the side of the road and start digging. This did not work because the road ran along a creek and the soil there was too hard and rocky. They decide to cover her body with rocks, fallen branches, and dirt. Once they feel the body is fully covered, they return to the car, clean themselves, and the murder scene. Once this is all done... Their next step is to dispose of their blood-soaked clothing and put the clean clothes on they brought. In their excitement and while they're changing, they have sex. Ew. Wow. We talked about that last week. You didn't have to say week. it like that. Jeez. Sniper's the same thing. Wow. I have to say that because they were so, like, in the book that I was reading about this part of it, they said that the excitement was so real for them that they, as soon as they got undressed, they just both felt it and both it's the adrenaline. Right they <laughs> They certainly did feel it. They this did. is kind of like the uh, snipers guys, right? right? So after they have sex, they put on their clothes and they head home. This murder and cleanup took just over three hours. They get up in the morning and Rachel heads to church camp. Of course. Oh, of course. Like, right after you kill a murder, let's go to church camp. Mm. Rachel then explains that she and Sheila had been planning this murder for over months. For months. Almost a year. She says this started in science class one day. She and Sheila were discussing that distancing themselves from the friendship would not work. They need to kill her to be completely free. <laughs> they are so callous with this conversation, they openly talk about it. How they will kill her, how they will dispose of the body. Skylar herself heard these discussions and passed them off. Oh, really? Wow. This is where Don was saying, like, kids from all over the school said that these conversations were happening in school, but they just thought that these girls were just... But Skylar heard them talking yeah. about how they wanted to kill her. Yeah. And she yeah. was like, yeah, no yeah. big luck, dog. Like, yeah. So in this group dynamic, Skylar was the victim. She yes. was always the butt of the joke. Correct. Because the other girls were having sex. Skylar was not, not, not just with girls. They were having sex with boys, too. So they were, Skylar was still a virgin. Skylar was not doing the serious drugs. Skylar was not trying to skip school as much as they were. They were starting to go down a path. And Skylar kept saying, like, oh, no. Uh. They almost thought of her as the good girl, like, ruining their fun right okay. they said this multiple times that Skylar was ruining their fun <laughs> okay. just don't hang out with her anymore you don't have to kill her right but then you can't have great sex <laughs> oh that is true <laughs> so one of the reasons that Skylar just passed it off is because on one of their phones there is a video 
that Sheila has, right? That they ask yeah, everybody how you so. would like to die. Yeah, Sheila has, yeah. They ask each of the girls how they would like to die. Like, they're playing like a would you rather. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, drowning or suffocating. Would you rather. Stabbing. Yeah. Right. So they go through all of those things playing like a would you rather thing. So Skylar says to the people, oh, we play these games all the time. They just like to talk about death. She, so what, what was Skylar's wanting or what was her answer to that? To the stab. That, I don't know if there was a stabbing one. I heard her answer to the suffocation or the water or drowning. Mm. It was suffocation because she felt like the water would take too long and it would hurt. Yeah. I don't so, I don't know about the stabbing. And yeah. They could have at least acknowledged how she wanted to die and just suffocate her. <laughs> right? <I don't> know. <laughs> Keep her wishes true. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Rachel then tells everybody how they left the house prepared to carry out the assaults. They bring with them kitchen knives, paper towels, bleach, cleaning clothes. Sorry. Cleaning cloths, clean clothes, and a shovel. They conceal the knives and then they hide the right raining items in the trunk of the car. So they put this like murder kit in the back of the car so that they could kill her slash clean up slash disguise it from everybody. And from what we're seeing, they did a good job. For 16, they fooled pretty much everybody. Well, no, they fooled cops in West Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> That's not exactly going to get you the Lifetime Achievement Award. Well, they fool the parents. They fool their neighbors. Like, nobody True. besides kids at school are suspecting them. Only people that expect them are other, ex I mean, sorry, are, are other kids at school. That's it. Yeah. You know? Suspect. That's the word I was looking for. Mm. My brain and my mouth don't always connect, guys. I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. You're doing great. The motivation Rachel gives for murder was simply that they did not like her. They did not want to be friends with her anymore. This confused all of the police. Like, what? That's your only motive? But after her confession, Rachel then leads investigators to her body. However, it's now January, and the ground is covered by snow. And she was unsure of the exact location. The police go back with cadaver dogs and find the body. The body was found on January 16th, less than 30 miles from her home. David Neese was dumbfounded. He had no idea that it was these two girls. No like, kidding. He actually told investigators at some points to stop hounding them because they were her best friends and they would never do this. Mm. This dad is, and if you see him, he's super like. Yeah, he's. The, both of the parents seem like very, very nice. Kind he reminds of me of people. John Goodman. Yeah. You guys know the actor John Goodman? Mm -hmm. Sure. Like, doesn't he kind of look like him a little? Kinda, I mean, yeah. he's a, a bigger guy, but seems like lovey and very stoic in all of his presence. When I watched him on Oxygen and when I watched him on Murders, Martinis and Murders, he, he did a great job, and he's very. Yeah. As mentioned before, Sheila had even helped the family and shown concern. They were so confused how twisted she could be. After the discovery of the body, Sheila tweets, Rest easy, Skylar. You'll always be my best friend. I miss you more than you could ever know. What a fucking fake. lunatic. <laughs> she is, yeah. Holy we're going to talk about some of her other tweets, yeah. too. So that tweet right there was the reason that a lot of the cops were like, Hold on, you haven't said anything about Skylar in almost a year. That, mm. that her... She tweeted almost every day before Skylar's murder, and now radio silence. And then now her body's found, she starts tweeting again. Then she tweets, we really did go on three. Huh. <laughs> like, what yeah. the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. How about you just did, what? If you're with a group of friends and you start hearing them count, you better run. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was thinking that. Just saying, Dad. <laughs> but that tweet was like, I remember when I read that thinking, what, you are so narcissistic to feel yeah. like you're going to get away with this murder after you just write, we really, we really did go on three? Like, 
cold. Yeah, now I'm starting to get why Dave is saying he doesn't think she has empathy or compassion because who fucking says something like that yeah. on Twitter? You just murdered your best friend from your whole childhood. The only girl that actually believed in you. Like, throughout their time, she, Skylar was always bringing Sheila up, even when her parents didn't want them to be friends. She's like, no, she's got something special. You just don't see it. Because her parents were a little worried when, you know, she was, you know, making poor decisions. They almost tried to say, like, you can't hang out with her anymore. And she's like, no, she has something special. You just don't see it. Hmm. But looks like they were right. Kids out there, take note. Or parents out there take note. Trust your instincts. Trust your instincts, right? Jesus Christ. But possibly one of the most disturbing things that Sheila does was that she constantly checks on the parents' emotional state. She calls often to the home, seeking comfort from Skylar's mother. She's such a douchebag. <laughs> like, this poor mom, yeah. right? What a fucking asshole. And she's I mean. such a kind... Like, when you see... Picture interviews with the mothers. You can tell she's a really kind woman. You can tell that about this mother. That you know she's just a kind person. You can tell that about David. They love their daughter, of course, and they love Sheila. Yeah, they say it. We loved this girl. She called here every night the first two weeks. What the fuck is wrong with that girl, man? Every night, like, are you that sadistic that you have mm-hmm. to do that to her? Ugh. Well, there are some some, some criminals. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No. I was just going to say We're some criminals. To talk about that. Yeah. She didn't strike me as one that would, but some do, and they. Uh, of course, you don't know what was happening on her end of the phone. She might have been, you know. Right. Well, she was trying to get more out of the case too. Go ahead, Steve. No, I was just going to say some people just present one personality out there, mm-hmm. and don't really show who they really are. Yeah. I mean, and we, like, think that that's sick and and stuff, but, like, if... What would it look like if she hadn't contacted them at all, if this was theoretically her best friend who suddenly gone missing? That's true. Well, that's why they didn't like that she stopped tweeting. That was one of the reasons why the cops looked at her was like, hey, wait, she tweets every day, and now all of a sudden you don't? Right. You don't have anything to say about your best friend leaving? So that's a good point, because the cops use it against her on the other side. One may chalk that up as trying to deflect suspicion, but it seems that she really liked to witness the pain that her mother was in. While malignant narcissism is a hypothetical condition not recognized in the DSM, it seems that Sheila Edie has all the traits. As mentioned before, the police counselor referred to her as a narcissistic and wrong. Wrong is also not recognized. However, we feel she is narcissistic with a large side of sadism. Surprise with that, sir. So wait, just one thing. The DSM is the... Diagnostic. David Connors McMillan. (laughs) It's the um, diagnostic. uh, If we don't know, that's okay. I just thought because we brought it up, we may want to mark that. We should know, though, but. um, Text Terry in a second, anyway. It's one used by. It is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. Yes, there you go. Okay, thank you. When Sheila's arrested at Cracker Barrel, she's having lunch with her mother. She first asks her mother, will I be okay? And then she brushes to fix her hair. She is expecting lots of reporters to be present. She's very disappointed when they are not. She takes her mugshot with a huge smile on her face. I saw that. I was like, oh, she's cute. Oh, wait, she's the killer. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but both of them look like they were smiling in the yeah. in their mugshot yeah. pictures. Those what That one you posted. Yeah, yeah. Yep. She is over the top, though. Like she's she goes and fixes her hair and everything. Like yeah. you know. she gets a blowout. Can, yeah, <laughs> it's like I need a makeover first. So on May first, two thousand thirteen, Rachel pleads guilty to second degree murder. 
Rachel has a plea agreement where she pleads guilty and to second degree by unlawful felonious. Uh, I can't talk. Felonious, willful, and malicious, intending to cause Felonious, death of Skylar yeah. Niece. Felonious. Felonious. There it is. That's a tough word. It is. Mm. I don't know why I put it in here. <laughs> <laughs> by stabbing her and causing the fatal issues. In the plea agreement, the state of West Virginia recommended a sentence of 40 years incarceration. Rachel's family is issued a public apology for her actions through their lawyer. Rachel's eligible for parole in 2023. Not too long from now, guys. But that's not uh, parole. Parole, not... She was sentenced 40 years, but she's eligible for parole in 2023. So that would be 10 years after being convicted? Yeah. Jeez. She will be con- she'll be 26 years old. She has found love in prison, and she is now married. That's nice. That's sweet. What a sweet ending for Rachel. It's like it was meant to be. It's like two snakes intertwined. (laughs) Gross. That September, Sheila is also uh, charged with murder. She is indicted by a grand jury, one count of kidnapping, one count of first-degree murder, and one count of conspiracy to commit murder. Sheila's is different because she doesn't admit anything. Where Rachel did the plea deal, deal and she told everything, Sheila remains silent. She says fucking nothing. Mm. Sheila does not... She pleads not guilty, but then they start to talk about charging her on both sides of the uh, coin. They're going to charge her both in Pennsylvania and in West Virginia. So she mm. says, okay, quick, let me plead guilty in West Virginia so I don't have to face charges in Pennsylvania where the body was. Mm. She is sentenced to life in prison with mercy. She is eligible for parole in 2028, and she will be 32. Both women are at the same prison in Larkin Correctional Center in Mason County. What's that mean with mercy? I think it means she's allowed to get paroled. She can get paroled, get paroled yeah. yeah. So this was post Roper. So minor, if you were under 18, you could not be sentenced to death when you, if you were under 18 when you committed your crime, rather, you can't be sentenced to death post Roper Supreme Court case. However, you could still at this time be sentenced to life without possibility of parole in most states, even if you were under 18 prior. Now, some states still uphold that you can, but many states have actually changed it. You cannot get a, give a minor a mandatory life without parole sentence in most states. That could go to the Supreme Court too soon. It was looking like it might have gone with the D.C. sniper case, but Virginia changed their law anyway, so the point was moved. So. And I think it's important in Sheila's case that during the criminal trial, she cried not once until she was sentenced. So even when all the details of the murder were coming out, everything, the parents said she was so cold to watch. And then all of a sudden, when they sentenced her, she started crying. Did she testify on her own behalf? No. No. Because of this case, the West Virginia state legislator in Nisa's home family district introduced a bill called Skyler's Law. This was going to modify West Virginia's Amber Alert plan by issuing immediate public announcements when any child is reported missing or in danger, regardless of whether the child is believed to have been kidnapped. The opinion columns, opinion columns appeared both in West Virginia and national media in support of this law, some of which also acknowledged some criticism and drawbacks of the legislation. We've talked about those drawbacks, but we all say that no matter what, you would save somebody's life if you did this right away. On March 27, 2013, the West Virginia House of Delegates approved this law. It then went to the Senate and then approved in the House. And then in May, Governor Earl Ray Tomlin signed this into legislation and law. Many states have now followed suit with this law. As we know here in Massachusetts, this law has helped many cases. They find them 
much quicker than they ever would have before. How many times do you see an Amber Alert and then a couple hours later they say, yeah. guy was found, yeah. you know? Yeah, I don't want to belabor this point, though, because obviously this pisses me off so much. But I, you don't Amber Alert for, like, adults, right? Nope, kids so, only. Yeah, That's so true. if your kid's 18, so. there's no Amber Alert. You're still on the 24 to 48 hour hold window mm -hmm. to see if they come back. And that's what's got to fucking change. The policy in general everywhere. That's true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This is a step, though. And I feel like if it you, is. the next step could, I mean, this was 2013. Why haven't we made any more progress since then? I, that, this is a very good point. Well, you know? it's not a federal law either. And it's not in every state. No. State to state, this varies. Yeah. That's it, guys. <laughs> Very good. Wow. That was fast. <laughs> so thank you so much, Gracia and Dave, on this particular story. I found it really informative and something I really wasn't aware of before, having you guys present it. And coming up next week, we're going to cover Vanessa Marcotte. Mar Marcotte? I think it's pronounced Marcotte. Okay, that's what I think, too. But I'll listen to, like, news stories and make sure. But anyway, we're going to cover her. She was a runner in a town just... 10 minutes from here, who fortunately was murdered along her run. So I'm going to cover that because I'm a runner, my daughter's a runner, so it's kind of an important story for me personally, I think, to get out there. And that'll be next week. And then the week after that, we're going to take a break for 4th of July. So enjoy the time with your families, guys. Yeah. Don't kill anybody. And don't, and don't kill, anybody. kill anybody. Pro tip, don't it's kill important. anybody and don't confess to any crimes. Mm -hmm. And don't try and fool a polygraph. Yeah, don't jump by from a car. Jumping yeah. out of a car. <laughs> There's other ways. Yes. <laughs> Bye. We actually do have the right to remain silent. <laughs> Thank you for listening to us on this episode of Cocktails, Mocktails, and Crime. Be sure to subscribe in your favorite app so you don't miss an episode. You can also send us an email to cocktails, mocktails, and crime at gmail.com. Or follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Cocktails, Mocktails, and Crime. Or Twitter at CMCrime1. See you all next week.